What up, all you beautiful Misfits and Rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 220 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Chris Reynolds from the Business Method Podcast. I actually had Chris on the podcast for episode 74 when I discovered him online. I was fed up with hearing all these different people try to pitch me on how to become a digital nomad and how they can help if I only just pay for their course and this and that and the other. I was experiencing a lot of that in Nicaragua. So I jumped on Google and I looked up digital nomads who make six figures or more and Chris Reynolds popped up immediately. So I did a little bit more research, reached out to him personally, invited him on the podcast, and from that moment on, knew I had tapped into the right group of people, starting with Chris Reynolds. I flew to Thailand. I did Get Shit Done Retreat with him, which was just eye-opening to meet people who had been digital nomads for as long as they had. Some of them were just getting started like me, but there was such an abundance of people who were making six figures or more. I got to sit next to them every day, watch their behavior, mimic their work ethic, and had some major breakthroughs thanks to their help, taking the time to sit down with me, look through what I was doing, and really help me break through a lot of barriers that were holding me back. In fact, that 10 days I spent with Chris and his crew, I made more money in that 10 days through my online course sales than I had ever made in the year I had been marketing my online serve course, in addition to the three years I had spent trying to build the course. So you can imagine how powerful that experience was and how much I appreciated tapping into that group of people, which then led me to the Dynamite Circle, which I'm now a member of. And as you've heard me speak so highly of all these people, the Dynamite Circle is just another great resource with a huge abundant network of like-minded digital nomads, online entrepreneurs doing exceptional things, and many of who you have heard from on this podcast. But I brought Chris back for this episode because of an experience he'd recently had in a sort of retreat self-exploration style experience down in Mexico where Chris and a few companions flew down to stay in a dark room individually each. So each person had their own room. They stayed in the dark, in the silence for seven days. And I really wanted to bring him back on because a lot of what I kind of watched through the social media channels that he was posting about this on, I realized there's a huge correlation between people's experiences in Vipassana, you know, the silent meditation retreats for seven days to 12 days, depending on what you want, where you don't say anything, but you are with a group of people, um, people's experiences with ayahuasca, you know, the breakthroughs that they have. And so the little bit I knew about his experience in the darkroom for seven days made me think of those experiences I'd heard about from other people. And I wanted to bring him on to talk about his experiences and the benefits that you might find if you chose to seek out this type of self-exploration. It's really intriguing, and I think for somebody who has dabbled in a few psychedelics, mostly just mushrooms, that fears psychedelics in many ways and doesn't necessarily want to take the ayahuasca route, which I have thought about but don't necessarily know if it's for me. It was really nice to hear Chris talk about the work that he's done, the experiences that he's had with ayahuasca, the brain scans that he's been doing and the team of doctors that he's been working with who can articulate whether the psychedelic experience is good for your brain or not good for your brain, which he articulates psychedelics aren't really great for his brain. And that made me feel a lot better where if I really wanted to dig deep in myself and do some serious self-exploration, then maybe this would be an opportunity where I didn't have to take myself on a very intense you know, 12-hour trip. But as you'll hear, the darkness provides a lot of the same exact experiences that people who do 
use the different types of jungle medicines, psychedelics to heal themselves, get a similar effect just from being in the dark for seven days, which is no small feat, as you will hear. It sounded very intense, at times made me very claustrophobic to think about, but something that I will consider in the future. We'll see. So I have no doubt you're going to enjoy this episode. Definitely check him out at the Business Method Podcast, where he where he interviews seven, eight-figure entrepreneurs, and in fact, just interviewed his first billionaire, Jeff Hoffman from Priceline, where he dissects their mindset, their strategies, and how they grew their business. And just a quick update to say thank you again to everybody who participated in my request from episode 218 where I asked anybody who wanted to take two to three minutes of their time, reach out to David Gelb from supperclub.com. He's the producer of a lot of really beautiful shows on Netflix, shows that I really appreciate and would love to turn Misfits and Rejects into a similar type of documentary series. Just want to give you a heads up that I still haven't heard anything back from him. I am hopeful still, obviously going to continue to reach out, starting to reach out to other producers who I think produce very visually beautiful content that I think would pair nicely with Misfits and Rejects. But thank you so much for taking the time and writing him on my behalf, encouraging him to give me 15 minutes of his time. It means the world to me, every single one of you who did that. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Chris Reynolds, where he talks in depth about his experience sitting in the dark in a small room in Mexico for seven days. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it, goddammit. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I am rejoined by Chris Reynolds from the Business Method Podcast. Chris, welcome back to the show. How are you, my friend? I'm excited, dude. I'm ready to make another awesome podcast, Chapin, and I'm glad to be here. Thanks, dude. Yeah, last time we spoke a couple years ago was episode 74, and as I said pre-show, like I'm going to shower you with a few just compliments because it's because of you that I found the Dynamite Circle. You invited me to Thailand for your retreat, Get Shit Done, which absolutely changed my trajectory, my path as a digital nomad in a positive way, and plugged me into this beautiful network of people. So thank you so much for that, dude. You were the first, I felt like, genuine digital nomad who is actually making money, who plugged me into <laughs> more digital nomads who are actually making real money. So thank you for that. You're very welcome, dude. And it's been a, a it's been great to get to know you over the past few years and see your journey as well. And I'm impressed. Like I see more guests on your show. I, th I think I'll see them on Facebook or I'll just see them randomly um, of who's who's new on your show. And I'm like, ah, oh, I know that person. I know that person. But it's it's good to see you continually grow and keep up the commitment for being a podcaster because it's not easy. Yeah, I often think about you and I sitting um – at the Dynamite Circle Bangkok big meetup where we had the uh, podcasting meetup. And you and I kind of sat there with uh, Michael and talked about we seem to be the most uh, – we have the most experience of podcasting. And we both had our own individual explanations of to like for new podcasters what they should do to start their podcast. And I remember you and I kind of both agreeing like stack as many as you can <laughs> yeah. before you launch. Would you still agree with that statement? Dude, I, I would pre-COVID. Nowadays, I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> so okay. um, I, if I was going to launch a new podcast, which I 
do consider on a regular basis, but I don't think I will. Um, if I was going to launch a new one, I would stick with that. That, um, but who knows what's going on with Apple these days and Spotify is a massive player, you know? And so, uh, the truth be told, I have no idea, but that's how I would continue to do it. If I, if I was going to do it again. Fair enough. I just, I would, I feel, I feel like I would retract that statement just would because you? I have a friend who started a podcast that I kind of showed him how to do it about a year ago. And he just, you know, he's on episode, I don't know, like 70 now, but, um, he's far surpassed me with the amount of listeners he has. Uh-huh. And so I feel like just getting started at this point, you know, like there, there definitely is some tricks, but just get started and really focus on your marketing is what I would yeah. say. <laughs> marketing is huge. And a lot of people don't cause they're so busy making a podcast, right? It's a lot of work. Uh, I would agree with that. That's good tips. But yeah, man, I've had you, um, in my life now for a few years and, and been having the best time watching you grow your podcast as well. The business method, um, which you get the most incredible guests on and do such a great job with. But today specifically, I brought you back on for an experience you had recently, which I don't know if you flew to Mexico for it, but you can tell us about it when, when we start, which is you sat in complete darkness for seven days in a row. <laughs> and to me, that really struck me in a, in a, in a way that it's, there's something to be said for somebody willing to do a silent retreat. You know, I get that you're like, you're walking around in silence for seven days meditating and that's very difficult, but I'm under the impression that you sat in a dark room by yourself for seven days. That was it, man. Basically being silent and <laughs> in darkness. So that struck me as a whole nother level of sensory deprivation. And if you could just, yeah, maybe talk us through the motivation, do this, how you found it with the benefits of it and the experience that would be incredible. Yeah. Well, it, it, it kind of started where I saw a post on the dynamite circle forum about, um, this guy, Aubrey Marcus that did a, a dark room retreat. And, um, I think the post said mind blown sounds like an amazing experience. And I think I was tagged in it or my name was mentioned in it. Because uh, people know I like meditating and and neuroscience and performance optimization, so I went through it, and I was like, "Yeah, that's kind of cool uh, what he's doing, but you don't necessarily need to sit in the dark for a week to to get to the results that he got." Um, but I was very curious because I had read um, I read I've read a lot of books about Native Americans specifically. Uh, in the plains and the western part of the United States, uh, written by books, uh, written by pe- by actual Native Americans during the late 1800s and early 1900s who experienced the transition of living on the plains or in the wilderness and then into white society or American society in the early 1900s. And one of the, the Sioux, Sioux tribes specifically, one of the things that they did to get the boys to, to help make the boys into men around 12 years old or so, they would build a mud hut completely dark and they would put the boys in the mud hut and say, you have to stay in this mud hut in this darkness for as long as you can. And they would do like rituals and dances and, and this sort of thing. And um, what it was to teach the boys is to learn introspection, also endurance um, and um, vision quests, which was very important in Native American culture, right? All these things for survival. And so it, it, it intrigued me. So I decided to listen to that podcast and I was driving from Austin to Kansas City, uh, going back home for a wedding. And I popped in the podcast like 6 a.m. I was just north of Dallas. And um, I think I finished it. It took me from 6 to 11 to finish it. Now, it's only a two-hour show. 
but I was my mind was blown so much, Chapin, um, from Aubrey talking about his experience of this dark room that I cried three times. I almost needed to pull over and I had to podcast I had to pause the podcast twice for twenty or thirty minutes just because I was in this crazy state of awe. And I was like, holy crap, this this is sounds really amazing. And so um I, when I got back home, I started doing some research and it was just like, have you ever had, you know, I'm sure you've had callings in your life where you just have this thing, you know, you need to do and you have to follow that. And this was the strongest urge of a calling that I'd had in a long time. Now, uh, the year before in November 19, uh, 2019, I did have my first Vipassana retreat, which was a week long. And I was kind of felt called to that, but not nearly as strong as I was to this. So by the time I heard that podcast, started doing the research and landing in Mexico, getting ready to walk into the dark room, it was only a period of two and a half months. Um, so it was, it was like something was telling me, you need this, Chris. Like this is going to be a thing for you. This is what you need to do right now. And, um, and so, yeah, it's literally within, you know, that's what, 10 weeks. Within 10 weeks, I was sitting in, in Mazunte, Mexico, um, getting ready to walk into the dark room and I brought a couple buddies along that thought it sounded like a cool adventure as well. And, uh, and then we, we decided to do it. Wow, dude. So the podcast that you heard Aubrey Marcus on, was that what Joe Rogan or no, 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 it was, it was Aubrey Marcus, his own podcast. Oh, okay. So if, yes. Yeah, so if you Google Aubrey Marcus, uh, dark room, it'll come up and, uh, and you can hear his as well. Okay, sweet. And then, did you choose the Mexico spot because that's where Aubrey went or is this a, something that many places offer around the world? Okay. So there's not a lot of places around the world that offer it, surprisingly. Um, the place that Aubrey went was in Germany and I Googled it because uh, I went to Mexico for a couple of reasons. Once we're in the middle, one is we're in the middle of COVID and Mexico is one of the only places that U.S. citizens can kind of go with a guarantee that a good, decent guarantee they're going to come back. Um, I had some friends down in Mexico that I wanted to go see for business and, and pleasure. And so I decided to do like a digital detox on the beach in Mexico a couple of weeks before the dark room to kind of, uh, you know, just decompress and get ready. Um, I checked some other places. There's a place in Portland, Oregon that does it, but they were booked out until March or May, 2021. And so, um, it just kind of fit like all the pieces came together. I had a good friend that wanted to go to Mexico as well and spend a couple of weeks on the beach with me. And so we went down there we saw our other friends. And then I met, um, two different friends after two weeks on the beach doing a digital detox. And I met two other friends in Mazunte to do the dark room retreat. Okay. Interesting. When I saw you post about this, I noticed that you were taking uh, brain scans with a, <laughs> yeah. a device. Now, is that something they provided or did you provide that for yourself? Did you buy that? They definitely do not. And as far as I know, um, we're the first that have ever done this. So I, I own a, um, a high-end brain scanner, pretty much the, 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 the best version of a portable brain scanner that you can get that's out there. The only next level thing is going into a clinic or a hospital where you get EEG or MRI, uh, cat scans, right. For your brain scan. And so this is a, you know, very expensive little device. And I bought this for specifically the events, get shit done live and the clients I work with to help 
um, to help optimize entrepreneurs' brains because those are the engines of our bodies, right? They're the engine of our life. And, um, and so I was going through some, um, I knew I had some uh, fatigue over the past three years and I couldn't, I worked with a bunch of doctors to figure out what it was. We couldn't figure out what it was, thought it was parasites, thought it was this, thought it was that. Finally, when I got the brain scan, I got a brain scan and I saw that, uh, my brain voltage had been low due to too much work. You know, ironic that the guy runs an event called Get Shit Done Live uh, has has burned his brain out from working too much. Right. So so this and this is like years over pulling, you know, 10, 12, 14, 16 hour days over like a decade working at home online. And and so I started to feel this fatigue and 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 so I saw what this brain scanner could do. I started, uh, you know, a supplement regime, different types of exercises and doing uh, meditation, different types of meditation to, you know, re-optimize my brain and to, um, you know, not burn out. And so it was doing amazing things. I bought the brain brain scanner because I wanted to use it for customers and clients and friends. And so I was I, we have a partnership set up with a functional neurologist, um, out of Michigan and he can read the brain scan. He's an official, you know, he's, he's, he's 15 years with traumatic brain injury. And so he can read the brain scans really well. So we have the customers come through our business. We scan their brain. We send a brain scan off to the doc. The doc tells them what's best, what they can use and, uh, and what they can do to opt re-optimize their brain. And I, I was talking to him one day and I said, hey, I'm thinking about taking a brain scanner uh, down uh, and, and scan our brains before and after we do the dark room. And, and the doc was, you know, he's like, absolutely, 100% do it because I, I imagine you're going to get some really phenomenal results. And to my knowledge, dark rooms aren't even that popular of a thing, right? Um, to my knowledge, nobody uh, at this point has scanned their brains before and after a dark room retreat. Um, so it's really kind of on the cusp, pretty awesome technology, I think, that we're working through. And uh, the results post-Darkroom, I can tell you about them in a bit, but we're really very impressive. Wow. Yeah, and folks, f just so you know, he's a productivity coach as well. And that's yeah. correct, Chris, and that's how you um, help a lot of people just increase productivity. And that's really interesting, um, you finding out that the charge in your brain was so low due to overworking itself. And with the the path that you've taken to heal yourself, it's, it's you're doing supplements, um, meditation, and what kind of results have you gotten from that? Yeah, so so one thing that um, when we did the first brain scan, this was January 2020, um, nearly a year ago now. Uh, my burn was my brain was burnout. Uh, that doesn't mean it doesn't have voltage. So if somebody experiences burnout from like a job or their lifestyle or, you know, relationship, what is happening literally is electricity. The voltage in your brain is just decreasing because you are doing something that no longer serves you. It no longer lights you up. It no longer makes you happy. Uh, whatever activity that may be, work, personal life, whatever it is. And so that is a decrease in voltage of your brain activity. And when I got my first brain scan, that's what I had. I had just, uh, I just wrapped up. I just finished a four-year relationship. And uh, there was 
you know, stress, especially in that last year. Um, I had burnt myself out twice in two different businesses. And, um, and the doc was like, Chris, I'm kind of worried. I think you may, you know, be on a path to burn yourself out again. You definitely need a reset. You need, you need, um, you need to work less. Your brain's more interested in socializing because it's amazing. They can do a brain scan shape and, 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 and the doc can be like, your brain is interested in socializing right now, as opposed to working. You need to do more socializing. Just as simple as that. And, and he was right. And so I just started increasing my social engagements and activity from, from his advice. Getting on um, my nitric oxide or nitrates were very low. So we tested those. So I got on some supplements to increase the nitric oxide level in my brain. Um, and it's worked like over the past, you know, 10, almost 12 months now. It's done really, really awesome things. The main thing that he was concerned off is that, you know, we don't reset as well as we need. And it's interesting, especially as digital nomads, we think we're resetting because we're traveling and we love to travel. Um, but a lot of times what we'll do is we'll go abroad and we'll still work just as hard or maybe even harder than, than if, than back home, you know, because it's now a part of our lifestyle. And, and you didn't mention this, but for the listeners, I've been location independent for nine years, right? I've been working at home for 11 years. And so my schedule when I get to a new country is not to go enjoy the new country and have a deep debt you know, and decompress and reset. It's to like continue my work hours so I can keep the business going. Um, and then on the evenings and weekends, I'll go and enjoy the country or city that I'm in. And so, um, one thing that I, I just did not, you know, and we, as people in a modern society, we don't do system resets like we're designed to do, you know, take the agricultural world, for example, you plant, you harvest, you plant, you grow your crops, you harvest them in the, in the fall, and then you reset in the winter. You don't do much work. You kind of sit at home. Maybe you do, you know, you go on vacation or something like that, but that's what farmers have been doing for years. You know, take uh, native tribe, tribal societies. Um, they'll go out, they'll hunt, they'll go on a hunt, and then they'll come back and they'll rest for days to decompress after that intense activity of going to hunt, going to hunt buffalo or, um, you know, or, or whatever animal they're after. Um, and so we don't do that because we're always connected to devices. We're always on the go and our brains and our systems do not have proper resets. Even if we go on vacation, especially in America, we go on vacation. We're more active quite often than we are when we're at home because we're, you know, seeing the new sites, going to this tour, going to that next thing, right? Um, trying to eat all the food on the all-inclusive buffet and drink all the drinks, you know? Um, so we don't, we don't, reset and that's really what my brain needed it needed a, a a system reset without the stimuli without the connection to the devices without the the go 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 without the oh i can do this thing or travel to this next country a system reset and that's that's what the dark room actually proved to be and the results that we got from the brain scanner because i for, i got I, I got a system reset that i haven't had in decades um without visual stimuli without very little sound stimuli um and device stimuli and all of it and so it was it was profound it was really profound so would you say then that you know the, the 12 months prior to the dark room because it sounds like that's what you've been working on the last 12 months is trying to reset your brain through the supplements and the meditation if you had found the dark room first do you think you would have had equal as big or as much of a change as the last 12 months. Does that make sense? My question. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Because 
what we found in in the past 12 months with scanning my brain and, and burnout and what was going on with my brain is that I, I would I would I would rest I would socialize I would um, you know meditate and I would increase the voltage of my brain but then I'd get back to work I'd find a new project uh, and I'd get in a hustle again and then it would decrease the voltage back right and so so the activity um, you know you could see a screenshot like of the activity in my brain it would grow over brain scan and brain scan it would grow 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 and then it actually would kind of decrease sometimes. Um, and it, and I could, I could feel it because <clears throat> the doc would say, he said, Chris, take some time off because <laughs> you're on a path to burn yourself out again, you know, relax, like chill, like take some time off. And originally too, why I wanted to do a couple of weeks in Mexico, uh, with a digital detox before, you know, the dark room, um, which was interesting though, but two weeks in, in, in Mexico, uh, on the beach with a digital detox around my friends, it didn't really, it didn't really reset me that much because I was still equally as active. I, I was in my normal, um, normal environment of being abroad with engaged with a lot of stuff. And so the reset wasn't anything compared to what the dark room gave. Yeah, it sounds like you've developed a uh, little allergy to work, my friend, which I, uh, you might be right. Well. <laughs> and that's okay, man. I think that it's interesting that you have found these unique ways to, you know, and, and found out that you have, you know, low energy in your brain. Cause you don't hear many people talk about that. You hear about burnout, but you don't really correlate that with, uh, that light in your brain kind of dimming. Yeah. And so for you to, you know, find that out and seek out remedies, that's really cool. So yeah, let's dive into the dark room in Mexico. What, what is, so this is a place that hosts people to stay in the dark. So what does that mean? Like what talk us through how that really works? Yeah, so they give you an an isolated room. Um, an isolated sounds scary, but it's not as scary as one may think. It's just a room. You can picture a very basic room in Mexico. It was circular. Um, about 25% of it was a bathroom, and maybe 30% was a bathroom, and then the other 70% was the living area. Um, and it's completely dark, pitch black. There's no light in the room whatsoever. There's a ventilator that kind of vents fresh air in and out of the room to keep fresh air cycling. There's a door, um, but it's, you know, the doors and windows are blacked out. Uh, you lock it from the inside, so you're not locked out. You're locking other people from coming in. Um, and then there's a kind of like a cubby hole with a door on the outside on the inside where they bring in food or coconuts. And then we have um, a desk, a single bed, a little chair that can unfold, and you can kind of meditate in that chair. It's got a few, you know, between the walls and different areas of the the uh, uh, the rooms on the floor. There's kind of a rock divider, which if you're walking in bare feet, um, you know if you're going into the bathroom or getting close to the the chair that uh, that you meditate on or getting close to your bed. And uh, there's a shower in there with hot water. And um, then you have three 20-liter um, uh, jugs of water where, with a pump on top where you can get your water. Okay. And um, when they deliver your food into this box, I have seen pictures, so I kind of know what you're describing. Uh -huh. There is no way for light to come in on your side. So you know Correct. that they've delivered the food. So they'll close their side of the box. Then you can open your side. So literally, you will never be exposed to any light throughout that seven-day period. Is that correct? 
Correct. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Unless you have a, what we say we call light accidents. So one morning I did wake up and like the air conditioner light was on. It's not supposed to, it just came on by itself and I closed my eyes real quick and then shut it off. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but, um, yeah, there's, there's no light whatsoever coming in from outside. Okay. And so the goal is to stay in for seven days. I remember the preamble you gave like a little, Hey, this is about to happen. And you had set like a little altar with a candle on it. Um, and that you said, okay, once this candle goes out, I'll be in darkness for seven days. If I can last that long, because it sounds like you had a little bit of, um, you didn't know exactly if you could last that long. So did you last seven days? I did. I made seven days. Um, and I'm, uh, yeah. And it, it went by faster than I thought it would Chapin. Um, you know, it, going up to it too, especially the, the, the couple days before you enter, the anxiety builds up, builds up. Right. And you think to yourself, it, you know, who does stuff like this and, and what the hell did I sign myself up for? And, you know, am I sure this is the right thing I should be doing? All these, you know, all these doubts come up and, um, and yeah, and and I, I felt fairly certain that I could do it, but I you don't know what you're going to go through, right? Um, there's a reason why people go crazy in solitary confinement. Now I know why they go crazy, um, but also at the same time, I don't think it's something that uh, we should ignore because I love this quote, uh, and I'm paraphrasing it, but it's uh, I think something like. Um, all the world's problems could uh, could be solved if people just learn how to sit in a room in silence for a long enough time or something like that. And uh, and so you understand because going into the dark room, what it is, man, it's, um, it's only you in the universe, you and your psyche in the universe. And you get um, a long amount of time to explore everything uh, that's deep down inside of you that you've probably been ignoring for way too long. And I think that's incredibly powerful. And that's why that quote makes sense that, you know, um, I think it's man's inability to, uh, to, to sit in silence long enough is the root of all the problems in, in the world. Um, and I understand that on another level by sitting in the dark for a week. Hmm. How many times did you cry since the podcast made you cry a couple of <laughs> times? How many times were you in tears sitting in the dark? So there was one, so day five was without the doubt, the most, without a doubt, the most intense. And, um, there was a period of, uh, that I cried for like two hours and that was the only cry. And it was more, more of a purge cause it was definitely a release of emotions. And, um, it was for about two hours, uh, just, just off and on, uh, but very intense emotional release of just snotting and bawling and crying and tearing up and, and choking on my own emotions. It was, it was, it was rough, but I knew what was happening and I was grateful. I was glad that was happening because I, I, I understood this, this is an emotional release that I'd been hanging on to for too long. Are you comfortable sharing any sorts of epiphanies you might've had? Um, yeah, man. Yeah, whatever you want to share with us, I think it'd be helpful to me and the audience. Like conclusions you came to, the releases you talked about. Like, can you, yeah. yeah, tell us, please. Well, part of that, one of the major lessons in it was that we all have something inside of us. And if we have something inside of us, um, it's meant to be exposed and shared with the world. And it doesn't matter if it's um, something that is really. Um, 
you know, great, you know, a business that we create or a podcast that we create or this emotional or this vulnerability that we share with the world because that, uh, that helps people grow as well. And sometimes that's the hardest part. And so one of the realizations um, and understandings that I got through from this experience is like I have a lot in me that I, I resist sharing with the world um, and why I wanted to do some podcasting about it and share about all the the, the the troubles and tribulations that come with doing a, a dark room and all the shit that comes up and also um, the resistance I had to you know a lot of my spiritual life a lot of emotional uh, vulnerabilities that I had been through that I just don't share um, because I just keep those I'd been taught subconsciously one way or the other to keep those inside and and not share those with the world and so you look at it like this, like, you know, we have 60,000 thoughts per day, roughly, they estimate, right? So then then times seven days, I don't know what that number is, but it's a lot of thoughts that go through your head. So I rem- I've, I've, I've forgotten more than I've remembered, um, but I'm really grateful because I took in a recorder that I could record, you know, my experience each day. And I ended up having about four hours of recording of things that I went through. And there's tons of lessons. There's all sorts of insights that I come up that I've come up with. Um, and we can start with this lesson. I think this was the morning of day two or three. I woke up and I was sitting on my bed. And without, you know, generally if we close our eyes. We close our eyes in the evening when we're going to bed, but even it's not, it's still not complete darkness, right? So when we get into a dark room or a deep um, cave or the lights at nighttime, the lights are off, we'll close our eyes and not experience visual stimuli for one, two, three, four minutes or so. And um, when you do it for an extended period of time, you get these cool visions and, and, um, you know, kind of like you get into a dream state of mind for sure. But this morning of day three, I, I woke up. You know, and I'm, um, you know, two days already with no visual stimuli and I'm thinking to myself, well, what's life like for a blind person? And I thought to myself, well, what's important if I was blind right now, what's important? What's important for me right now in this experience? I need somebody to bring me food or a way to get food, right? That's important. Uh, And water as well. I need a a small little dwelling that I can dwell in, that I can live in. Um, A big dwelling, a big house, a big apartment does makes no has no value if I was blind um, what do I need how much money do I need oh maybe a thousand bucks a month or so depends on where you live in the world right maybe a few hundred bucks maybe 1500 bucks um, per month and then I would need uh, to have a happy life I would need people in my life that treat me well that respect me and I respect them and somebody to cuddle with a lover in at night And that's all you need. And so this idea came, kind of evolved from that, Japen. It was, it was when we lose, when we lose sight, we begin to see what's really important in life because we don't have this ambition to gain more and do more. Who needs the nicest clothes when you don't have sight? Nobody. Who needs the nicest house, the nicest car? Nobody. Who needs the biggest bank account? No. What you need is people in your life that respect you and treat you well a way to get food and pay for your little dwelling and somebody to, to love in the evening, you know, and, and love and, and share a life with. That's all that matters. Nice looks don't even matter, you know, none of that. And so it was, it was a cool experience because I think anytime we're off track as people um, on 
you know, either burning ourselves out or getting too busy with life. Like all we can really do is, is close our eyes and without sight, what do we need? What do we see that's important when we don't have sight? We need those people in our life. We need a few bucks to pay our bills. Um, and we need, um, good experiences, people to share good experiences, maybe music, um, maybe some sort of uh, instrument that you can play or singing that can help you engage. So that was, that was, um, one of the first kind of profound insights that I got. Mm, Beautiful man. And what was the second? Uh, (laughs) Um, so day three is when the visual visualization started. So if we can take like the listeners through an experience, of what it's like to close your eyes and go to bed and then start dreaming. The dreams seem very real. They're very present in dreams. Sometimes they're very scary. Sometimes they're excited. Sometimes you have sexual dreams. Sometimes you have the most wild dreams in the world. In those dreams, they're very, they feel very real. And then you kind of wake up and you come out of the experience and you're like, wow, that was, that was wild. And then you forget about it. Right. So um, being in a dark room, especially by day three is when the visualization started to come and the visualizations, the visions are very similar to the, being in that dream state of mind. So from a neuroscience perspective, this is probably in theta or delta state of mind, which are the deeper states of mind. And, um, and you have very, very wild visions that are very much like a dream would be. So, um, actually on, on, in a meditation, uh, in day one, I had my aunt Iona, uh, appear in, in one of my meditations. And then she kept coming, uh, she came back in day three and this is in my visioning visions. And then she did again in day four and day five and day six and day seven. So she kept coming back. Um, she's passed on and I'm not, I, I wasn't that close to her. I loved her a lot. I know she loved me a lot, but she ended up being like a guide and I didn't ask for a guide. I didn't think about a guide. She just like showed up and she continued to show up. I had no idea that she was going to continue to show up. So like on day three, when these visions started hitting, uh, because I'm meditating, you know, like, um, you know, multiple hours per day, five, six, seven, eight hours per day. And, um, and also laying in bed and resting, these visions will come to you. So the melatonin shifts in your brains, which then helps increase the visioning and DMT, more DMT is released in our brains. And so on day three, when the vision started coming stronger and stronger, I had this like, I was, I was kind of exploring the anger that was inside of me and this vision and Aunt Iona showed up and I saw this vision of this dark tree that was rooted all throughout the, my, the internal parts of me and her and I like pulled this tree out together and then I set it on fire and then I had all these visions of like, um, being released, you know, because I, I would have, I would see like dark spirits in my mind's eye. I would see like, um, panthers and demons and, and then feel like this tension around my heart and my, uh, emotions. And then part of that process by taking that tree out, um, I saw the roots of it filled with this light and then a release of, um, this tension or this, this armor that was kind of around my heart. And, uh, and then my aunt was there, my aunt Iona. And then I saw these like visions of these flowers and this like, um, real beautiful kind of like in a, in a prairie, these, these fields and these flowers and clouds and animals around me too. Um, and it was just, just a unique experience. It was really nice because you could tell part of that process that was happening is me releasing whatever tension, anxiety, anger, um, stuck emotions I had in me started, were starting to be released. 
Wow, dude. Do you know the root of the anger or was it just multiple roots of past events that angered you? I, I know some of them that, that came up more and more clearly on day like four and five. Um, that from that experience, I think it was just um, anger that had been in me for my entire life. Right. Uh, so different different experiences, different things, maybe from childhood, from adolescence, um, you know, even from, you know, being an entrepreneur or traveling. So I think it was just like the idea of some anger getting released and that being filled with light. Now you fast forward today, five for sure. I was releasing specific anger around, um, a, a past relationship that I had that I was holding on to that I didn't understand as much. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I, I'm listening to you talk about these things and going through my own visualizations of where I think I know my head would go. However, it sounds like you don't necessarily know where your head's going to go. I mean, with your aunt Iona showing up, like it sounds yeah. like they're, I'm not going to say a higher purpose or a guide, like the, the, it's almost like ayahuasca, like the darkness knows what you need and it's going to help take you there and help you release it. If you're willing to be open to that sort of thing, is, is that accurate? I think a thousand percent and I wanted to go there. I had the intention of being as open as possible because um, one of the guys that came down and did the dark room uh, with me, his name's Leon and he had the same process, but his goal of the dark room was to visualize the man that he wanted to be like in the next five or 10 years or so. And that's what he all, that's the only thing he wanted to focus, focus on. And what kept coming up for him was this uh, these insecurities of not being good enough, not not being uh, strong enough, not being smart enough. All these things kept coming up for him, and he was like trying to shove those back down so he could focus on the guy that he was becoming. But what the dark room exposes, like similar to ayahuasca, um, in this DMT releases, it expo it gives you exactly what you need. And what he realized on the back end of that, it was like, hey, I need to address these this this these insecurities I have with myself if I want to become that guy. But it took him days in the dark room to figure this whole thing out, right? Um, for me, I had been through you know experiences like that through personal development, meditation, uh, vipassana, uh, ayahuasca, and all of this. And so I knew as soon as those emotions came up, I wanted to to just let the dark room take me wherever it was going to take me, as deep as it wanted to go. I wanted to tackle everything I could while I was there, um, and release and heal and grow is and, and get insights as much as I could. Um, so yeah, you're right. That's that's exactly. It, and if it's that resistance, right? Like if, if we resist all that stuff that comes up, that's what we do our whole lives. This is why mental health is such a big issue right now. Um, we work and we, we avoid the, the, our, our inner workings of our brain, bodies, emotions, um, and mindsets. And we just push them off. We push them back down. We just ignore them. And then all of a sudden something happens in our life. Oh, why is your relationship not working out? Why is that business not working out? Why haven't you reached that level of success? Success. Well, you've done really good at – we've all done really good at avoiding um, the the things in our life that are stopping us from reaching that ne next level of success or stopping us from having that relationship that we want, right? And and that's the one – that's the things that I wanted to tackle for sure. Yeah, what they, what they say, what we resist persists. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think, I think John Lee Dumas said that on my podcast once. Yeah. Um, did all your companions make it the seven days? Uh, no, one guy got sick on day five. He got pretty ill. So he came out 
and but the other the other guy Leon he made it all okay. seven days. Can you draw many comparisons between your Vipassana experience and this darkroom experience? And absolutely. And then yeah. yeah, the days in which you kind of found breakthroughs to happen because I've heard a lot of patterns in people who have done the Vipassana where they're like the first like one through four days is just like horrible. Like you feel like a crazy person (laughs) and then the day four comes along and you kind of have this breakthrough and that's not specific to everybody, but it's consistent. Do you find comparisons similar? I I would actually. Um, So for Vipassana, I did seven days as well. And um, uh, very similar. Like I, I wouldn't say like I've meditated for years, so I wouldn't say day one to four I, I felt crazy. Um, I just felt like I was going through the routine and trusting trusting the process for vipassana. Day four and five were the most profound for me in vipassana, and then day six and seven was kind of tidying t- tying everything up, making it for a full circle. And there was a very similar process in the dark room as well. Now, if I were going to compare the two, I would say. Vipassana is a very light version of the dark room. Um, the dark room is, you, you know, you're there with yourself. At least in Vipassana, you have other people around you. You may not be talking to them, but you you have that synergy and you can you have visual stimuli that can kind of, you know, change your train of thought here and there. Um, in the dark room, it's it's much more intense. Um, I had a profound experience in, on day four or five in Vipassana. I don't remember. Uh, but it actually shifted. It actually was one of the reasons I bought the, the brain scanner and dove more into human optimization and neuroscience for our business uh, from that experience in Vipassana. And then, you know, eventually it led me to, to the dark room. Um, and yes, I would say, yeah, that comparison is, but again, dark room is, 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 is a hard, hard version of Vipassana. So if you want like a pre up yourself, like maybe, maybe do a week of Vipassana or a shorter time in dark room before you dive into the dark room. Right. Have you ever done ayahuasca? Yeah, I did it in, uh, 2012 when I was living down in uh, Peru and I did three ceremonies. And comparing your experiences with Vipassana, dark room and ayahuasca similar, overlapping yeah so the results from um the dark room are quite similar to that of what people get from ayahuasca or maybe a mushroom or mdma uh, type of experience and and even the the visions and the visualizations are quite similar to what um you may experience in ayahuasca so I would say that now. Here's the interesting thing, Chapin. I don't have you done ayahuasca before? No, I haven't. Okay, so for me, so <clears throat> ayahuasca is interesting because there's 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 a lot of people using it in the correct way, and a lot of people there's a very dark side to the psychedelics, uh, the dark part of the world that people don't talk about so often these days. Um, we had the David Rabin who has done the largest um, controlled study of psychedelics in the world on our podcast and he was talking about there's you know everything you get from psychedelics you can get it from meditation as well it just meditation takes longer so psychedelics are doing amazing things for people you take the the soldiers with PTSD um, you know they come and they do psychedelics and it opens up new parts of their brains and brain and emotion connection that that had been closed off for years now so when I did ayahuasca the first time I did it it was just kind of like a eh experience I enjoyed doing it because I was with a group of friends, but it wasn't, you know, that phenomenal. The second time was extremely intense and the third time as well. Um, But again, afterwards, like the biggest profound 
insight I got from ayahuasca was that I didn't need things like ayahuasca to get clarity. I didn't need psychedelics to get clarity and feel on purpose. If anything, it was moving me more away from that. Um, and I didn't really understand this because so many people had, 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 had amazing results from, from these psychedelics. And so I didn't, I haven't used them for eight years. I don't care to use them. It's just not my thing. Um, and, and so I didn't realize what was going on until I got the brain scanner. Now, when you scan, um, when we get a brain scan, uh, the doctor we work with is very open-minded, so he may recommend some psychedelic treatment for people if they feel like that's what uh, is best for them. And when he scanned my brain, he said, hey, "Chris, like yours, your brain isn't a brain that I would recommend psychedelics for." And I was like, "Really? Why?" And he goes, "He goes, see these receptors down here? These are open. When those are closed." Those are people that need psychedelics. That's a person that does psychedelics and then those receptors open and they see the world the way they've never seen it before. And then with psychedelics, there's quite often a diminishing return, right? At first it's amazing, then uh, it just kind of diminishes because it's a medicine. And so what's happening is these receptors that are in their brains and bodies open up and those receptors, then they see the world differently and then they get the healing that they need from psychedelics. And so... So that that made complete sense to me that I didn't need these the ayahuasca from the very beginning because for me it was just like a eh type of experience. It wasn't that great. It wasn't that profound. Um, I get that insight and clarity from meditation, and I always have. And so um, now I, I was kind of curious about this because what I heard the dark room was going to be similar to an ayahuasca type of experience. I was curious about you know how that would affect my brain, and what it turns out is that. You know, the dark room ended up serving my brain and my psyche very, very well. I don't know why uh, it differs between that and what ayahuasca would do for somebody's brain. Maybe it's the intensity of the short, you know, four hours massive trip from ayahuasca. I don't know. But that's just kind of the results that I got from it. And, um, yeah, so it's interesting to, to understand. It's interesting because I've had the same feeling about, for example, like um, yoga versus chiropractic. So I've always felt like you can achieve the same thing that a chiropractor can do in like a few cracks through yoga. It takes a little bit more time, but like my bone structure will go back into place if I do like, you know, an hour of sun salutations every day for three months rather than like going to a guy who's going to like rip my neck to one side and pop <laughs> everything into place. So like I'm anti chiropractic because uh -huh. I've had so many weird experiences with them and super pro yoga. Yeah. But do what I mean, obviously do what people need to do to, to heal themselves. Um, but with the like the daily routine you had in the dark room, you didn't know what time of day it was, I'm assuming, right? Because it's dark. So you just you just go in with what you know how like how are your circadian rhythms <laughs> attuned to like the outside light and darks like patterns? My you know, it was really interesting because we, we were we were curious about that because as Aubrey Marcus talks about in his podcast, it threw him out of whack completely. He was sleeping like two hours a night and then he'd be up for four hours and then sleep an hour and then be up, you know. And um, for me and actually the, the other guys that I went with, um, ours stayed pretty on cue. And um, I don't know why. One, one thing is we could slightly hear like the chickens crow in the morning. And so we could kind of get a grasp on the idea. And then the, the time that food was delivered was five, uh, 10 a.m. and then 5 p.m. And so I actually asked them to stop knocking, just put the food in the cubby hole 
and then um, I'd find it whenever I'm hungry. But you kind of you kind of got a sense of it because you could slightly hear the evening bugs, uh, insects come up. You know, like maybe the cicadas or the locusts come out in the evening, and, and the crickets, and they make different sounds. But I would sleep, you know, eight eight nine hours a night. I'd sleep really well, slept very deep, and um, then I just had a routine. I would get up. Uh, actually, I'd lay in bed after I woke up. I'd usually wake up around five, four forty-five or five. I'd wake up, I'd lay in bed for half an hour, 45 minutes, and I'd meditate for maybe an hour. Then I would do some exercises. I'd run in place. Um, I would do some stretching yoga. I would practice some handstands. I'd do that for probably an hour and a half to two hours. Then I would meditate again. Then I would take a shower, uh, either meditate again or it'd be about breakfast time, have the first meal of the day. Then I would um, meditate again, maybe take a little nap, then meditate, meditate, um, and then um, have dinner, and then again meditate, 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 and go to bed. That's kind of the daily schedule. <laughs> Were you ever bored? Dude, I was not, and I was kind of surprised. Now, Leon was extremely bored <laughs> quite a few times, and I think the, the other guy that went with us, he was as well, Aaron, but um, I didn't. We didn't get – nobody got as bored as, as, as much as they thought they would. I really didn't feel boredom until the last day. And it's, I think it's because we were counting down the hours. I was like, uh, 12 hours and I'm out of this, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so um, I felt like by day seven I had gotten pretty much everything that I'd been there to get. It felt like that anyway. And so – uh, I got a bit more bored, so I got out my recorder and just started recording some insights and memories I had from the darkroom. Now, you also noted, because um, I followed you you know, as you led up to this, uh, that you could write what you needed if you needed anything, and you put it in a little box, and they can you know, get you what you need. But you're in the dark. like You can't That's really it. see, so how does that work? <laughs> you just have a pen, man. I would write on the front and back with two different pens. Because I, I had this little fear, like, what if I'm what I'm writing, the pen's not, the ink's not coming out, and I'm just putting blank, blank notes in the dark uh, cubbyhole, and um, so I would write on the front and back, uh, sometimes in English and Spanish, on the front and back um, with different pens just to make sure I got the message um, through the through to the other side, but um, but yeah, it's funny, it's funny little things would come up, little fears like ah, you know. They're gonna. Everything's gonna get messed up if the pen doesn't work. The ink's not working. I can't see it. But I'm sure it looks sloppy. I'm sure it was not, you know, you know, great handwriting at all. Did you have any major fears come up that you hadn't expected? Um. No, you know, I I feel like because I was really open and I've done this type of stuff in different forms, whether vipassana or ayahuasca or meditation before, uh, kind of what to expect. In some, I expected the unexpected, and I was comfortable with whatever unexpected came to me, no matter how dark or how light or how brilliant or how horrible it was going to be. And and literally, like um, you know, I talk more about it um, in my in my podcast too. But there's literally literally times when I I could see in my mind just being surrounded and engulfed by demonic looking creatures. Um, and I think for a lot of people that haven't, haven't done stuff like that or didn't, wouldn't expect that, that, that could really throw them out of whack. You know, this is again, why solitary confinement makes people go crazy. Um, they don't expect that. And, and I knew what to expect. I was comfortable with that. 
um, any fears, any nastiness that came up, I, I was completely okay with letting, with visiting all of it. And so there, there wasn't really anything unexpected when you, when, when you go in with the mindset to expect the unexpected, you know what I mean? Yeah. What is your meditation like when you're sitting there in the dark? Like, I mean, obviously you do the same type of meditation you would as if you were in the light, but like, can you just describe your style of meditation to the audience, please? Yeah, so I used a lot of what I learned in Vipassana the year prior, which is what they taught us is close our eyes. Any thoughts that come up, you just kind of let them go by and refocus on the darkness behind your your eyelids. And that's what I did, and that served me really well because, you know, when you do start meditating, meditating all these random thoughts will come up, and it'll take a while for you to let to get in the habit and the practice of letting those random thoughts just go and then refocusing on, you know, whatever you want to focus on, uh, maybe your breath or the darkness behind, behind your eyelids. And so I just, I did that a lot and it would get me into, you know, from, from the higher states of mind to the deeper states of mind, um, pretty quickly. And then it became intense where, you know, an hour or two hours would pass like that, you know, it was like literally, um, you can go into this vision and see these visions um, in those deeper states of mind, just like a dream, you know, and all this, you could experience all this stuff in a short period of time and a long period of time. Um, and it, it that that can feel like it was a very short period of time. And so uh, that was the type of meditation I did. And um, I would just sit cross-legged vast majority of the time. Sometimes I would lay down. We had a yoga mat as well. Uh, but sit cross-legged and just sometimes I had to stretch my legs out because it would hurt the knees. But just let let the visions take me wherever they were going to take me. Mm, so cool. What was it light? What was it like seeing the light for the first time after seven days? <laughs> um. So what we did is we um, they they knocked on our doors at five a.m. Um, on the morning of the eighth day, and I lit a candle. And I just kind of sat there and I heard the other guys outside. It was still dark outside. Um, I opened the door and I said, hey, guys, you know, we were really excited to see each other. They came into my dark room and we did a quick meditation and we walked to the beach, which was like five, six, seven, eight minutes away. And we watched the sunrise. It was still dark at the, by, at the beach by the time we arrived. We're still very dizzy. Um, so things were, you know, it was the first time we walked on incline. It was the first time we, we saw, you know, physical shapes in seven days. And so it was dizzy, you know, you can imagine going around on a merry-go-round and then for a while and then, then trying to walk straight. It was kind of like that. And, um, but seeing, seeing those guys and having the experience and then going to the beach and watching the sunrise on the ocean, which was a gorgeous beach, was phenomenal. The water was more reflective and intense than than you'd ever seen it. Uh, the sun is just so incredibly vivid. Like you're in this extremely present type of a high state of mind where um, everything, you, you feel kind of like a newborn because you were in the darkness, you came out of the womb, boom, and you're seeing, seeing earth for the first time, colors for the first time in seven days. And you see the sun and you, you can just contemplate the magnificence of the sun that, you know, I think it's, you know, I don't know how many million, nine, 90 million miles away from the earth. And if that sun wasn't perfectly aligned, life on earth wouldn't exist. And you just kind of see the vividness of the, the dark green forest um, the tropical forest on the beach and, 
and swimming in the water, how intense the feeling of the water was. It was, it was quite an amazing experience. Wow. This sounds incredible. I was right there with you for that description. That's beautiful. Yeah. What about the brain scans pre-post? Can you talk us through those? Sure, man. Um, actually, I have some I'll, – I'll read what the doctor said, but um, I wish I had some pictures to show you guys. So if you could imagine this, in the frontal, frontal area of your brain is the frontal lobes, prefrontal cortex. This is the manager and like the CEO of the brain where the vast majority of my volt, brain voltages is in the front area as opposed to the, the parietal or occipital lobes that are in the back. Now, what was happening, Chapin, is that the front part of my brain wasn't communicating um, with the back part of my brain and emotionally shutting off the the back part, the back areas of my brain. Um, and so when we did the scan pre, you can see this wide gap between the front area of the brain and the back area of my brain. Um, and actually, if you if you do want to put a link up, I have some pictures up on the, our website and you can actually see the pictures Absolutely. of this wide yeah, of this wide gap um, between the front and the back. So then post, you see the pictures, and there's multiple connections in the front areas as opposed to the back areas. The uh, voltage in my brain increased 125%, so more than doubled, uh, plus 25%, which was pretty phenomenal. The doc was blown away. He was just shocked. He literally said, you did – you did literally what nobody can do with their brains in seven days. And what we did was very, what I did specifically and Leon as well was very hard to do because you can't do it with supplements. You have to do that with becoming more conscious. Um, you have to do that with becoming more insightful, taking time to really, um, work on your emotions and your internal psyche on what's happening. And that reignites that brain voltage and those connections in your brain. Uh, Leon had some past physical trauma from his brain, some PTSD type of stuff. And literally the, his was different. He, he didn't have, he had less connections in the frontal areas of his brain, uh, which made him very anxious. It was very hard for him to sleep And those connections. Um, are you know got reconnected during the dark, the dark room leon has had trouble sleeping for years um he has to sleep in very cold environments he has to do the blue blockers glasses in the evening and uh wakes up multiple times throughout the night throughout the night he slept like a baby in the dark room and since the dark room he slept really well he doesn't need to control the environment as much he's just sleeping seven eight hours a night on a regular basis um so it's pretty phenomenal. I mean, I mean, there's more details, obviously, um, but just seeing the doctor's reaction after, before and after, uh, he was pretty blown away. Like Leon healed his brain significantly. Uh, I did a major shift in consciousness, and that's what the doctor said. Is he said it looks like a major shift in consciousness from the the change of your brain, and um, you know, after after the dark room, um, Chapin, I was. I was like, the first couple of days, I was like, I might do a dark room, you know, five years down the road, but I don't need to do it anytime soon. And then like four or five, six days out, I kind of I started to get nostalgia for the dark room. I was like, ah, I kind of miss this experience. I think I'd, maybe in a year or two, maybe I'll try it out. And then I got the results back from the, the brain scanner and the doc. And I was like, dude, I'm, I want to go back in three months. <laughs> I'm like, sign me up for another round. I don't care where it is. I'm going to go back. Anytime you can increase your brain's voltage and 125% and the connectivity in your brain in such a rapid time, 
Um, I mean, it's, it's literally a no brainer not to do it, man. And, uh, and so I'm making plans now to go back and do it sometime in Q1 in 2021. Ooh, I might join for that one because you've really caught my attention. Yeah. The lasting effects of this, I mean, obviously like with anything you have to probably, you know, keep things up to date and like do more meditation. Like, yeah, what are the long-term effects and does it last for a very long time? Yeah, that's a good question, man. Um, you know, I'm only, we're just over a month out, right, of the dark room. And so it's, we haven't been out of the dark room for a long term. So um, I, you know, right out of the dark room, I felt much lighter. I felt much more present on a regular basis the first few weeks out of it. Um, that, that kind of tension that I felt around my heart, those emotions that I purged definitely feel gone. That was really, uh, it's been really nice. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like, I don't know, like I feel, I feel clear, I would say, but I've never, I, before going into the dark room, I wasn't unclear. What I, what I felt like before the dark room is that I was a bit stuck, I would say, not in my business, but just kind of in my feelings. I felt stuck and a little kind of somber and kind of down. Um, and I feel better. I would say there was, uh, there was just some strange tension that I was dealing with on a regular basis that I couldn't pinpoint, um, leading up to the dark room. And it, and it, it felt like it's, it's definitely been released in some sort of way or shifted in some sort of way. Very cool. You know, you, you reference, you know, with your, your productivity coaching that you utilize your brain scanner for the individuals that you work with. But as a digital nomad and always moving, I'm assuming you have clients that join you who, who aren't in your current location. So how do you get them brain scanned? Um, so there's multiple places around the U.S. specifically, not around the world, but um, that scan with this brain scanner, usually like a sports therapy clinic, and you can go in and get a brain scan. And what we're doing now is then getting those brain scans and sending them to the doctor we work with to give spe specific recommendations for entrepreneurs and executives that want to optimize their brain. But um, in Austin, you know, we'll have people come over to the house and I'll just scan their brain over at our house. Um, and then, uh, so we can do it if people are in Austin or want to come down to Austin, we can do it there. Cool. Cause yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd like to do that with you and get yeah. my brain scan and, and see what the doc says. Um, that'd be super cool. Um, so wow, dude, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been such a cool conversation and I'm glad you had that experience. Like I said, I'm, I'm interested now and intrigued. Maybe I'll join you for the next <laughs> round. <laughs> Love to have you, man. Love to have you. So people can check you out at the business method podcast if they want to hear more specifics. Cause I'm assuming you and your, um, companions talk together for your podcast about this experience. Yeah. It, yeah. So if you, if you guys go to the business method.com forward slash dark room, you can find the podcast. It's three hours long. Um, Leon and I both talk about our experiences. We do it like a 45 minute Q and a at the end of it for people that have all the interesting questions. Um, and then it also shows pictures of the before and after brain scans, uh, for myself and my biometrics. I didn't tell you that I took a whoop band that, that measures my biometrics. And so we have a, a couple days of biometrics in the dark room and what that looked like. I did a coconut water fast when I was in the, uh, the last three days of the dark room and the results of that. Um, and then uh, what happened afterwards. And then, yeah, all the details are there. The businessmethod.com forward slash dark room. Cool. And then productivity coaching as well. 
can you talk us through like what people can expect when they utilize that service from you? Is that specifically you or you have a team helping you with the productivity coaching? No, it's, it's one what I do now is one-on-one coaching and I don't do, I'm not doing as much in 2021 as I have, I've done in the past. Um, but I'm still taking on some clients for this year, but, um, it's one-on-one coaching, a minimum of three months, helping to optimize your performance, your goal setting, your, your mindset, and um, working through, if you are able to get a brain scan, working through what we can do to optimize your brain and performance levels through through that avenue. That's awesome, man. Are you doing anything else these days, business-wise, or is this kind of the, the bread and butter of what you do? Uh, so, so we've actually pushed you know, uh, doing less on the coaching, but we are still taking some clients for next year. Uh, the main thing is, is we do, um, masterminds for higher level entrepreneurs as well. And so we've got a, quite a bit of those moving on for 2021. And, uh, that's part of the business as well. As you know, you know, get you done live got canceled for 2020 and probably will get canceled for 2021 as well. Um, based on COVID and everything that's happening. So no live events for, Last year and this year, I'm guessing, but um, but yeah, we've got the coaching and and brain scanning going on. Cool, Chris. Thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate you, dude. I appreciate you too. Thanks, Japen. It's been a pleasure, man. Awesome, Chris. Thank you so much for your time, my brother. It is always a pleasure to catch up with you. I am looking forward to seeing you someplace in this world very soon. Folks, check him out at the Business Method Podcast. I put the link in the show notes if you want to see the brain scans that he talked about throughout the episode. You can easily just go to the businessmethodpodcast.com backslash darkroom and see those results. But again, the, the link is in the show notes. I want to wish you all a very happy, prosperous 2021. Please keep striving for that lifestyle, that job, that thing that you desire so deeply within yourself that you'd like to manifest, that you'd like to bring into your life in more abundance. Please keep striving. I'm going to keep striving. I'm still hopeful. I still haven't gotten to that specific place that I want to get to, but I think it's important that we stay positive, stay optimistic, and keep pushing. I think you all are so very beautiful. Thank you for joining me. See you in next week's episode, Monday morning, 9 a.m. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.